Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner, and today we actually brought on a friend, colleague, and guest host, my friend Casey, who will be interviewing us, um, Donna and I, so we can dive deeper into who we are as your hosts and why that matters. So Casey, I'm going to let you do an intro to yourself before we jump into the conversation. Thanks for having me on today. I'm so excited to hear this podcast. Um, You know this, that it resonates with me on a really personal level as a leader, as a coach, as a human. So I am an executive and leadership coach as well. I'm a TEDx speaker and a I don't know if I can say former opera singer yet. I think maybe semi-retired opera singer, but I I worked as an opera singer and a performer for many years, uh, a writer, producer, and then shifted into coaching about seven years ago. So I myself am also a neurodivergent leader. I was diagnosed with ADHD or ADD actually um, in college. It wasn't until my freshman year of college. And so I had spent, you know, 18 years of my life being told I was lazy, uh, that I just didn't care enough, that I had the talent and the intelligence and the knowledge, but just not the discipline or the the skills, which is, of course, very discouraging. And then after years of being a pretty high achieving student, you know, I get to college and suddenly I'm failing classes. It was really... Uh, really jarring. And luckily, I had a voice teacher who said, hey, I think you might ought to get tested for ADD. I think that might be the root of some of these issues. And lo and behold, as soon as I was medicated for that, it was a complete turnaround. So I am continuously excited about the new research that's coming out, um, conversations like the ones that you all are having. And it's something I see with a lot of my clients as well. So I just think your podcast is going to help so many people. Thanks, Case. I would love to hear from the two of you. Obviously, I know you a bit, but in terms of what you want your listeners to know, bio-wise, story-wise, 
Will you both share a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Donna, you want to jump in and start? Sure. Um, hello, I am your another one of your co-hosts, Donna McLaughlin. And I guess the way that I would like to dive into the conversation about myself is by just identifying myself as an educator who has participated in a system where I have watched people not necessarily be honored or served as, you know, for their neurodivergence. So um, that first and foremost brings me to this podcast and this leadership development program. And secondly, I am a parent of a neurodivergent child who is now an adult who also suffered in an educational system as a square peg trying to be fit into a round hole. I finally figured out that in order to honor him as a mother and as a human, I had to transform my mindsets about parenting and embrace him from the place of possibility rather than fear. So a part of my journey has been as an educator trying to um, celebrate difference um, in my students and then as a parent and a human um, trying to come out of the whole journey and experience with a more elevated and compassionate understanding of love and parenting. So I'm Heather Lynn Wagner, your other co-host. I am a twice exceptional neurodivergent leader, a serial entrepreneur, and a parent raising a neurodivergent child. Um, I was a child who struggled in school. I was the straight-A student who spent most of her time in in-school suspension. Um, and it was a counselor that actually saw some potential in me that she encouraged my leadership and she got me involved in this peer mentoring program. Um, so that was like 30 years ago. And I've been mentoring and developing and coaching people ever since. Have spent the last eight years as an executive leadership coach doing leadership development. I, Casey and I actually ran a coach training company together. We graduated from the same coach training company. And I too have seen with my clients who are neurodivergent, a lot of struggles that they have had in organizations being led by people who didn't fully understand their neurodivergence or who didn't give them the space to, you know, lead in the most authentic ways they could. I experienced a lot of what I now looking back realize were socialized and institutionalized traumas being developed in systems that did not understand me. And so I bring that personal experience of being neurodivergent in addition to having spent most of my life doing leadership development inside of programs that were built for neurotypical people. Thank you both. Let's dive into some of the deeper questions, shall we? Yes, let's do yeah. it. One of the uh, one of the through lines that I notice in all three of our introductions here is this this feeling or experience of being misunderstood in some way. What is something that people seem to most misunderstand about the two of you? Well, Don't... I can say that a part of you know my own experience has been, I tend to be a person that has a, a lot of social anxiety in large groups. And so I have been kind of marginalized and judged at different times in my life as being like antisocial or incapable of functioning in large groups, or maybe even to the point of, you know, having judgments against me, like I was snobbish or thought I was better than other people. And really all of those things were untrue. It was really because my introversion and my social anxiety keep me 
kind of in a in a more guarded position when I'm in a large crowd, and so I tend to be an observer. And 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 because of my empathy and my intuitive nature, I like to identify with and and uh, interact with people on a more individualized basis. So I I sit back and observe, and I listen to people's thoughts and feelings, and then I kind of jump in and interact with people and engage. And so for some people that can be really awkward and uncomfortable because I don't appear to be the life of the party. So that's often a, a big misunderstanding that people have about me, you know, and and because of that, being an educator and in the front line, um, I was also in a band for many years, which is, you know, is also a very social position. So people don't understand how you can have those jobs, but still have an introverted or social phobia as a, you know, as a trait. And so a lot of times that that made people misunderstand me. That's incredible. I have so many questions I want to ask you about all of that. <laughs> let me get let me hear from you, Heather, on the same question before we before we dig in too deep to any one answer. Yeah. So it's funny because I have a slightly similar answer, but slightly different. Um I think I am a little bit more extroverted and the older I get, I'm starting to realize a lot of that is um, probably more of a mask or a performance than I ever realized that it was. And it was more of a survival strategy than anything. So the truth is like, I have a lot of social anxiety. Um, You know, I'm, I got sober a couple years ago and through my sobriety, I really started to understand that it was, it was really alcohol was a lubrication for my social anxiety. And it was something that helped me perform and be the funny girl and do all the things I needed to do to like actually shut down that what was happening inside of me was this frenetic, you know, uncomfortable thing. And so, you know, I've, I've been a speaker on stages in front of thousands of people. And one of the things I say when I open on stage is, and I teach people who have stage fright to do this is name it to tame it. So I will come out and I'll welcome everyone and say, Hey, you know, even though I've done this a million times, I still get really anxious when I get on stage. So if I talk really, really fast, or if you notice something in my voice shake, it's just because I'm trying to work out my own anxiety right now. And then I just move in and that kind of diffuses it because I'm not like, Oh my God, can they see? But when I start to tell people like, yeah, I have severe social anxiety, or when I tell people that I'm inside, like having a meltdown, but they're like, but, but you seem so put together and it seems like you, like no way you can feel that way. And so, yeah, I think the performance I've been able to develop versus what's actually going on and inside don't match up and people are like, you know, that, and I can be very direct and I don't realize how direct I am. I think again, a neurodivergence thing. And people are like, oh, oh." I was like, oh, was that, was that rude? I thought I was just being honest. So I think I can sometimes be construed as rude and I didn't realize it. (laughs) It's interesting. And I wonder for you to, you know, the more you do self-awareness work and personal development work, are there parts of your neurodivergence that maybe once seemed authentic and once seemed like, well, this is just who I am, that the more work you do, you realize have become a bit of a mask or a performance and vice versa? Oh, I can definitely say that's true for me because I have more recently done, you know, some personal development 
which kind of led me into this path of trying to serve other neurodivergence and people of all different types of abilities and capabilities. And that is that I, I really recognize that the people pleasing part of me, that, that need for acceptance is really kind of what drove me for so many years. It, it added to my fears and all of my anxieties, not just my social ones, but it, it, it definitely drove my interaction with other humans. And it wasn't until I was able to come to a place of ex- self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance, that I was able to then say, oh, I don't really need to do that anymore, right? I'm worthy and I'm enough without having other people validate me. And that took a lot of work and it was really scary <laughs> um, to go through. But I think it's it's such a, a an authentic and necessary piece to this whole puzzle is to really dig into where do you come from? And then therefore, once you figure that out for yourself, you can be more empathetic and more compassionate towards other people and where they're at on their journey. Yeah, I... One thousand percent. And I think masking is a is a very human experience. I don't think it's unique to neurodivergent people per se. And in my research over the last year for this program we've developed, when I started looking at masking and what, you know, autistic people and neurodivergent people and ADHDers. I actually had someone say to me once when I was young, this was a peer and I was in my elementary age, um, you're like a chameleon. And they meant it as an insult. Like, like it's not a good thing that you have no, you don't know who you are. But in the, at the time I was like, well, that's makes me amazing. And what I learned later on is there's actually a humility inside of being able to be with anyone in any different way. So I was like, oh, this is an amazing asset. Now that I've done enough work around this masking and really understanding, I realized well, yes, it does have strengths. And I do think we need to be able to mask to be in certain situations and it can be a healthy coping strategy. But I think with neurodivergence where it's like, well, isn't that just everyone going through it? And where is it, um, where does it become a, a problem or an issue is when it happens so much, it impacts your ability in your life to thrive. And I think for me, I've started to realize how much I've had to mask that I even didn't even know who I was myself. Like COVID taught me how much of an introvert I actually was. Going out now and trying to do a social experience will set me back three days because I'm so much more in tune. But before I would have been, you know, the life of the party or the center of attention. So I do think that, yes, I've learned that some of these things that can be tools to keep us safe and in certain situations have really impeded my own ability to be my authentic self. I, there's so many layers to pull away. And I imagine, you know, as, as people who professionally do this sort of work too, you understand sometimes something is authentic and then you come back around and it has become a performance. And then a little bit later you peel off another layer and there's that same trait in a new way that is now more authentic. And it really, you know, you come back around to it. Um, What, and some of this answer may also be parts of your neurodivergence and how it shows up, but really what makes you a great leader? You want to go first this time, huh? 
Sure. I, yeah, I'm very clear. My ability to see patterns and the connectedness in all things, my vision, my ability to see beyond where most people can see, and my strategic out-of-the-box creative thinking. Like I'm a super MacGyver. I can kind of so when I go in, when I, I used to go into organizations, I could assess the entire organization and I could see exactly where like bottlenecks and their efficiency were happening. I could see where there would be cultural breakdowns. And then I could come up with the strategy to course correct. I just wasn't the person to stick around and implement because I have no execution in my, my gap is execution. But like the vision, the strategy, the pattern recognition, the innovation, the creativity, those are amazing strengths that my neurodivergence gives me. Yeah. How about you, Donna? So for me, I think it's the relationship piece. I am ultimately primarily and predominantly a relationship person. I build relationships before I go, you know, in any direction. And I think that it's because I value knowing other people and where they're coming from and honoring their thought process and and where they're at on a journey, because that's what I expect for myself. It's like that do unto others idea. And so that to me is where I come from. And so I, it makes me a mindful communicator and listener first, which I think is a really important part of leadership is being able to listen rather than just lead because it's your people, right? The people that are in your system that are going to bring you where you need to go. It's not really a top down thing where, you know, you tell people where to go because then nobody's happy. So I think those are the two things. It's that relationships first and then being a mindful communicator and listener for me. You both show up with so much willingness to explore, be in inquiry, so much wisdom, what is the most important thing that you've learned in your life thus far? Hmm. I think for me, it's that love without mm-hmm. judgment. It, it really is loving myself without judgment as well as loving other people without judgments. And that's a lot harder said than done because we grow up in a society and in a system where judging is just a part of the everyday life, right? It's, you know, why are you coming at me? For what reason? What's your motivation? You know, it's that mistrustful kind of idea behind every interaction that we have as human beings together. And so for me, it it's really coming to that place in my life at my age and, and with my life experience and as a parent um, and educator in a, in a broken system where I had to have my own humility about my mistakes as a human and as a parent and be able to self-reflect on that and then say, you know, like rather than judging myself, actually just showing up and being accountable and authentic about it and accepting the fact that it wasn't intentional, but it doesn't mean it didn't matter. And so it's now my responsibility, right, to, to be accountable and then to grow and then to show up for other people and understand that that's where they're coming from as well. So again, loving without judgment. That's really powerful. Um I don't want to step over that as we were all pondering this very deep question, Heather, I think I heard you say it's not that deep. It's not that deep. Is that the important thing that you've learned? Well, amongst many other things, it's hard to like just scoop one lifelong lesson. But if I really had to look at all of the things because of my neurodivergence, when I'm overusing my strengths, I can find patterns and, you know, I really will 
make things a bigger deal. And I think through my spiritual journey, like it is deep and it isn't right. It's simple sometimes. And so I think when I remember to just like, okay, take a step back here. It's not the end of the world. Like the, the ceiling is not crashing down on you. Um, (laughs) it's just not that deep so I know that's something you've heard before Casey it's just so great and it's another example of where the two of you are such a great partnership you know you are like peanut butter and jelly of leadership here you got it's not that deep just love without judgment like it's so beautiful again it's the wisdom but the simplicity what was life like for you before that lesson crystallized Don I'll have you start on that one So I feel like, you know, living a life that is fear-based or judgment-based, right? You're so dysfunctional and you're constantly performing and masking and pleasing and just running around in this very um, codependent performance-based lifestyle. It's exhausting. I, I just know that for myself, I never really knew where I stood. I was always, you know, not, I, I would get to certain milestones and think, oh, this is it. Now I'm going to feel really good about myself. And then it wasn't enough. And I was, you know, still trying to go further and further and further. And it wasn't about educating myself with a bigger degree, or it wasn't about doing the perfect thing. It was really about the fact that I needed to be more intentional about myself and what I really wanted. And I lost sight of myself and all that people pleasing and performing and existing and judging. So really after I did the development piece, it was about being calmer, you know, being more intentional, the mindfulness for myself, self-care and love and acceptance. And so those are the ways that my life has changed. And that is, I think, what I really want to give to other people is that experience so that they can recognize that they can get there too that it doesn't, life doesn't have to be that really frenetic, you know, fearful performance-based nightmare that you can actually come to a place, right, where you feel good about yourself and good about what you're doing every single day. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah, it was. Thank you. How about you, Heather? Give us a little bit of the before and after. Knowing, of course, we're all always a work in in progress, yes. right? But what's the before? Well, don't and after? Get, yeah, I was gonna say there's sometimes the before can slip into the after, but sure. um, I do think that you know when I think about when I really struggled with my depression and my mental health, it was before I had the tools that, you know, coaching and personal development gave me. And I think, you know, that's where I got the, it it ain't that deep from as a tool. Like, I think I would spiral out, you know, I would lose myself for days. It was a real ego fear-based, you know, not that different than what Donna described, slightly different in the context, but, you know, everything was so complicated and so hard and so challenging. And it was almost like, um, you know, one of the contexts I inherited from my father, which is a great one. My stepfather is, you know, you got to work hard in life, right? So a lot of the before was working hard and making it complicated and making it challenging. And the after is understanding that, oh, sometimes it's just my neurodivergence. Like, oh, it's just that thing you do. So there was also this unsupported, unregulated 
neurodivergent thing happening, ADHD. And then when I had my kids and much like your story, Casey, with like, I got to college and things changed. I've heard that story quite a bit now where people get diagnosed because in high school, you know, or in, in when you're younger, there's a lot of structure around you. But then when you go into college and adulthood, that structure is kind of gone. And now all of a sudden the ADHD becomes a problem and it, it elevates. And that's what happened with me with having children was especially a child who's also neurodivergent as the two of us were like two peas in a pot or the blind leading the blind. So I think for me, the after has really become take a deep breath, let that shit go. You know, there's a lot of these phrases and sayings where you can just come back to a more mindful present way of being. And from that space, we can make healthier, more grounded decisions versus continuing to spiral in the struggle of life. So yeah, I think the after is definitely a more presence-based, more mindful-based, using the tools, advocating for myself, understanding how my neurodivergence is impacting me and not being so guilt-ridden or ashamed of it. Because I think shame in and of itself can be um, a pretty shitty way to live your life is from a shame-based place. Let's zoom out a little bit. You you both are coming in as experts in what I think of as a pretty emerging field, you know, supporting neuro, neurodivergent leadership. You two really are the first people I've heard speak about it in the way that you are and, and put it at the forefront of leader, leadership development in this way. So what do you see as the biggest challenge in the field right now and how do you plan to overcome it? I think for me, it has to do with that whole idea of being a marginalized group and being under accepted and undervalued, just like with any other marginalized group, those uncomfortable conversations, like where, you know, what language are we using? What systems are set up in the world to, to accommodate, you know, all the different parts and pieces of this puzzle are really challenging to talk about and think about. But when you think about critical theory, right, and you think about the fact that understanding where our oppression comes from and who's oppressing and where our systems are broken is the first step in trying to undo all of the trauma and damage and devaluing that is going on. So really for me, it's going to be trying to have conversations with people who have been victimized in the system, but who are ready to be challenged to change the paradigm. Heather, how about you? Well, I think generally speaking, we have a lot of pathologized views of neurodivergence. And I think that, you know, I could get into a whole conversation about my theories on how we don't have adequate testing. There is an issue with medical misogyny where women and how they present, there's not enough studies done on women. We have a lot of people who are not running around undiagnosed and under supported. Um, so I, I, and, and then on top of it, I think there's some collapsing of understanding. So like certain medical needs are getting collapsed with neurodivergence, you know, intellectual or cognitive disability often gets collapsed with neurodivergence. And one of the things that I would like to do is actually 
start to break these things out so the needs of each can be addressed sufficiently. And you'll probably hear me say this a bunch of times because this was the epiphany that started all of this for me was my husband is an amazing athlete and he was on the beach at two years old hitting baseballs that his father was pitching it to him. And people were like, oh my God, you know, how old's your kid? You know, but what happened was his parents recognized this raw talent and they had the resources to invest in that talent. And he went on to get full ride scholarships to D1 schools and is still an amazing athlete because they invested in that. My vision, my goal for my son, for myself is when we start to see neurodivergence show up in children and in adults, why don't we say, oh my God, I wonder what talent this is going to become. I wonder if what innovations they're going to create, what kind of an engineer they're going to be. We start to put resources into our children and recognize that this is a talent. And yes, it can come because of our society and what Donna spoke to with a whole slew of issues we need to overcome. But I want to change people's idea that this is something I need to course correct or fix. And this is actually something I need to develop and enhance. And, you know, we're mostly dealing with adults in our work Um as Donna and I are going to be doing. And eventually we're going to work with parents and kids too. But right now we're focused on adults because what happens when our kids, I think about my son who's going to graduate from high school and he's going to go out into the world and what supports are going to be there for him. You know, right now he's got all this support in school and all these IEPs and accommodations. And then it's like graduate. Okay, go be in the world, go find a job. And, you know, autistic people and people with different neurodivergence, there's a lot of unemployment in this field. And so for me, it's going to be overcoming this idea that there's not value in being neurodivergent and actually changing it to be like, oh, what kind of value can we get out of this neurodivergence? Yeah, this is incredible. And it's it's such an exciting conversation, not only to focus on what the challenges are, what the gaps are, but I would love to hear more from both of you on what is the vision that you have for when these challenges have been overcome, when the paradigm has shifted, when neurodivergent leaders are fully nurtured, encouraged, and blossoming as who we all are. What do you see for the world? So for me, it's about redefining that definition of leadership. Because right now we have a very neurotypical based definition of what a good leader is. And what we're going to try to do in our, in our program is try to get people to collaboratively and organically come up with their own definitions about what a leader is for them, which is a totally different perspective to have rather than fitting, you know, square pegs into round holes, just make a square hole. Right. And so it's it, it's really having that ability to accept people where they're at and then encourage and nurture them into developing to where they want to be, not where I think they should be. Ugh, I wish we were on video right now. I have the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> this is such an exciting uh possibility-based conversation. It's incredible. Um Thank you. Heather, what about you? What's your vision for the world from this? Um the future of work and the future of our culture is going to require highly creative, adaptive, inclusive leaders. 
And if we are going to be successful as a society, we're going to need to start to value those types of leaders. It's not just, I know we hear leadership is about influence and it's about getting people to do things. And there's a lot of, if you Google leadership, there's like a gazillion definitions, but a lot of it lives inside of power dynamics. And a lot of it lives inside of control. And a lot of it lives inside of a right way to, to lead. We want to see a world where personal values and personal leadership and personal contribution are the ways in which we build teams and organizations so that we can be a more inclusive, accepting society. It's incredible and so timely, really. And you've both spoken to why this is so vital right now to be in this conversation, to be creating these shifts. Thank you again for being leaders in this conversation. You guys are are really doing something special with this work. So thank you. What is one cool fact about you both that nobody knows? We can kind of stray from the topic at hand, perhaps, but just something, because this is really your introduction to your audience and, and maybe something a little, I don't know, maybe even something a little quirky, something kind of fun. <laughs> Um, so I, I was telling Heather, I came up with a couple of different things when I was strategizing and thinking about things that I could say about myself that would help people to more deeply connect with me as a, just as a person. And I thought that one of the, one of the deepest things was my background in singing, right? As I thought, I have this story of a friend of mine who was really close to me. He was a guy and I tended to relate to guys a little bit better when I was a younger kid than I did to girls. So I had a lot of guy friends and he used to call me up in the middle of the night just as a joke. And we would literally sing all of the lyrics to Rapper's Delight. So I often find myself <laughs> when I'm in a, like a really stressed mood or, you know, things aren't going really well and I need a quick pick me up, I'll start singing, you know, busting out some lyrics to uh, Rapper's Delight. So do you want to give us a sample <laughs> right now? <laughs> you see, I am Wonder Mike and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the brown, the purple and yellow. But first I got a bang, bang, the boogie, the boogie. All right, I've got that's good. That's good. Fantastic. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Heather, how are you going to stop that? <laughs> well, when she was telling me about that, I was like, you know, I was at an event in Florida one day and the Sugar Hill Gang came out and started performing live on stage. So I actually have so pictures with the sugar like literally they they kept trying to convince like they're like stay we have a surprise we have a surprise it was at the hard rock in hollywood florida and like there was one table left and all of a sudden here comes the sugar hill gang singing rappers delay and i was like is this happening right now like it's literally the sugar <laughs> hill gang so i have pictures standing on stage with them um i think one of the things that's quirky about me is i've had a million jobs there's like a joke that runs in my husband's family as they've gotten to know me over the last 13 years that like I've probably done it, been there, known someone who's done it. But like, you know, I was a whitewater kayaking guide for a while. I was a nanny. I was a restaurateur. I was a cheerleading director. I, I mean, literally I have, if I actually did my resume, I probably would have like five pages of <laughs> things oh my that God. I've done. Can we but... also have a neurodivergent resume as part yes. of the world Oh my shows? gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that needs to be a thing. That's I great. Think it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
As we start to wrap up, if you could both choose just one big takeaway that you want people to walk away from today's episode, what would it be? Um, love yourself, live your dreams. So concise that your authentic leadership is in there and with the right structures and tools and support, you can thrive and you just got to be willing to lean in. Beautiful. Really making leadership something that's accessible to all people. It's great. Where can listeners connect with you online? to learn more and to continue to follow your work as it unfolds. Yeah. So you can find us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or you can find us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader. And we do have a program and we offer one-to-one coaching and a bunch of different things. So if you do want to learn more about getting that personalized support, um, you can reach out to us and we can get you what you need. Incredible. Yes. Thank you, Casey, for coming on. You're an amazing host and moderator. We may have you back for more conversations. I'm sure we could dive deep into any of these. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.